The right idea at the right time. The miracles of logistics every day. I just challenged all of their rules. Technology is revolutionizing this industry. Changed our lives. Close your eyes for a second. New York, Hong Kong, Paris. We're more connected. You just never know where the next innovation will come from. Rules are beginning to change. This is Longitudes Radio, a podcast with today's leading experts about the future of technology, global trade, sustainability, and logistics. From Atlanta, I'm Brian Hughes. And I'm James Rowe. Today is part two of our Urban Logistics series, and we're talking with Matthias Winkenbach. He is the director of the Megacity Logistics Lab at MIT. Matthias is going to talk specifically about what we can do to fix some of the largest problems with delivering all these goods to people in urban areas. I think what's fascinating is we'll, we'll start to hear how academic institutions are kind of spearheading this effort and how they're working with industry partners to use the data that we have to come up with good solutions that are workable and executable. Yeah, and as Matthias will talk about, nobody can go it alone. It needs to be collaboration between the private sector, academic institutions, and government partners. Right. So let's uh, get to Matthias. So, Matthias, in all your work, you're looking at all kinds of different problems and challenges in these cities of the future. And central to that seems to be this concept of urban density. Can you explain to our listeners what that is exactly and why it's so important? Sure. Um, So, urban density can obviously be defined in many different ways. Um, A lot of people think of urban density predominantly as population density. Um, And the reason why um, urban density can be both a cure, uh, both a curse and a cure for sustainable urban logistics is that uh, with increasing density levels, which we see, by the way, across cities all over the world, um, we add complexity and uncertainty to last mile delivery, um, last mile logistics operations. Given that all the variables and all the data and all the different inputs that you're working with, how do you do, do, your, do, you do your best to forecast what the problems will be and when exactly they will arise? Yeah, I think um, when we work with our industry partners, for instance, we try to encourage them to work more with data. And obviously nowadays a lot of people talk about the extreme value of so-called big data, uh, even though actually a lot of things can also already be done by just looking at a lot of data, which is different from big data, that is already available to most companies. So for instance, for instance companies typically um, have very good access to decent quality of transactional data from their past operations. So they, for instance, know when they uh, delivered to which customer in the past, um, how the success or failure of that delivery attempt might depend on certain factors like the time of the day um, or the time of the year that the delivery was made. Um, They have a lot of information about their customer. They can characterize those customers so they can easily identify drivers of um, delivery efficiency, for instance. Or nowadays, it's actually relatively easy to also access publicly available data sources. All of us are using Google Maps, for instance. And it's not that hard to access Google Maps data 
um, to, for instance, come up with a reasonable estimate of how the traffic situation in a city might evolve throughout the day. So, so using the... that data um, and actually integrating it into the day-to-day decision-making for urban last-mile um, operations uh, can actually go a long way. So I think that's an interesting point because I think a lot of the times when you start thinking about the city of the future and how you address some of these problems – And, you know, it's not a bad thing, but you think about the Internet of Things, right, and sensors and all these new and futuristic ways that will capture data. And that's important. But if I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is a lot of these solutions are already at our fingertips. Yes, and you don't necessarily need super complicated technology to get access to extremely difficult to interpret data. Actually, a lot of really valuable information is already in your records, in your books. Where it gets a little bit more complicated is when you move away from, let's say, an industrial market like the U.S. or Europe um, to a, let's say, more emerging market or even developing countries in Asia, Africa, Latin America. Because there, the data availability, especially for publicly available data, might be uh, less good. So there, uh, you can't could imagine using IoT devices to generate more of your own data and to get more high-resolution, high-quality data on your own because public sources might be not as reliable. So, um, Matthias, when you were talking about the complexities of overseas, we'll get into that a little bit more because I know that's a totally different game uh, than in the U.S., but even in the U.S., when you're looking at all these different forms of data, how, how do you know what data to go look for? Because it seems like that could be a huge array of variables. Yes, it could be. Um, but um, So when we do research in this field, we try to look for data based on previously defined research questions. So what is the answer that, or what is the parameter that we're trying to find and what is the data that we have to look for? So, for instance, if you think about route planning, a key challenge for route planning or route optimization is characterizing speed profiles of those routes. Now, that is where we start looking into which data sources could we use to come to better characterizations of the speed profile of a truck. And there we could um, leverage various data sources. I mentioned Google uh, Maps data before or any other public mapping service. You could use your own GPS traces. You could use mobile phone data. So there's for every parameter that you're trying to characterize to optimize your operations, there's, let's say, three or four options of data sources that you might want to look into, and then you should explore those uh, in further depth. Personally, I don't see that much value in just collecting as much data as you can get and then trying to uh, um, uh, reverse engineer uh, how to use those different data sources to come to some meaningful conclusion. Uh, That's more exploratory, but that's usually not um, very helpful in solving the last mile uh, problem. Right. So it's, it's, it's more about quality than quantity, right? Yes. So you want to go for uh, finding the best quant- uh, quality of data to answer a specific question or to find out about a certain parameter uh, rather than throwing as much data as possible together and uh, exploring what you could get out of it. So, and, and with that, I know one of the tools that you use in trying to figure out, um, you know, the optimized routes, um, you know, how to move product through a city um, the quickest way, use algorithms, right? So does, do you, you know, walk us through how you take the data and you actually start creating algorithms for that? So um, algorithms 
algorithms are typically just mathematical programs that are trying to optimize for a specific goal. So for instance, there are algorithms that try to optimize the routes of a vehicle or of a fleet of vehicles. There are other algorithms that we design that help companies, for instance, de like design uh, the appropriate distribution network, so they try to answer the question, where should a certain distribution facility be located, for instance, or what kind of facilities do I need throughout a city to be as efficient as possible in supplying goods to that city. And um, so these mathematical programs or mathematical algorithms, if you wish, are very general. So they can solve different kinds of problems from different kinds of um, companies, for instance. And to basically tailor them towards the specific problem of a specific company, we then look into the data to calibrate the parameters of those algorithms based on the data. So, Matthias, i got to commend you on that because, for example, when I took uh, my SATs in high school, I finished in the 5% for geometry and, and math. That's and very, by 5%, that's I mean the bottom 5%. The bottom 5%. Yeah, uh, I didn't know that. About when, I, when I explained it to my parents, they had informed me that, in fact, I was on the wrong end of that. And I say all that to say I just understood what you're talking about. So nice job. That's good. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but uh, let, me, let me ask you this kind of when you're out there doing this, are there cities that stand out to you that are doing it better than others? Cities that are using data in more forward-looking ways and collecting the right data and actually coming to real solutions? Well, I wouldn't want to pick out one city specifically that I believe does a particularly good or bad job. I can just tell you from some of our experiences. So, um, for instance, in Europe, we have seen a lot of um, so-called city logistics initiatives of various cities um, that try to impose a solution onto the industry without considering both those industry stakeholders but also considering the data that they could have looked at uh, to a sufficient extent. And that usually led to the initiatives that they tried to design with good intentions um, to fail because they didn't really think about the effects uh, and the implications for the private sector uh, sufficiently. Um, on the other side, for instance, we used to work in Santiago de Chile with the local government there, and um, they were redesigning the downtown area of Santiago de Chile for basically making it more accessible and more uh, uh, livable a place. And um, so they actually came to us and asked us, please help us assessing the freight needs of that downtown area of Santiago. So we went and looked into, in this case, the GPS data that we got from various vendors that were bringing goods into that part of the city. And we built a model, a quantitative model, that basically answered two or three very simple questions, namely, how many freight-dedicated parking bays do you need, where do you need them, and at what time of the day should they be reserved for freight? Um, and that helped them a lot in using data that they would have otherwise never accessed um, to make better policy decisions. And um, this openness towards more academic approaches to policy making, more data-driven approaches to decision making uh, are important for any city uh, to be successful in the way they want to facilitate efficient urban logistics in the future. Let me, let me ask you this, and I think it's a good point. You talked a little bit about the fact that a bunch of city planners, a bunch of people who work at companies, they do have good intentions and they want to make a difference and they want to put us on a path to a more sustainable future. But I'm sure there's 
common mistakes you might run into. Do you have any advice or just common pitfalls that you think people might uh, need to look past as they're going about trying to plan for these cities and do it in a more sustainable way? Well, it's probably not necessarily a mistake, but one thing that I do see is that um, naturally, especially cities or government agencies, are lacking, let's say, the technical know-how to connect the dots, so to connect data with policy decision-making. Um, so the only advice that I can give there is to build that capability within your um, city government, for instance. The city of Boston, by the way, is a pretty good example. Uh, the office of the mayor of Boston actually has a team of very talented and ambitious young people who are trying to solve the urban mobility problems of Boston in a more rigorous, more academic, more data-driven approach. And they collaborate with local universities like us on this. But for them to basically reap the full potential of those collaborations, they need to have a certain level of technical understanding themselves. And that's what, for instance, the city of Boston is very good at, attracting that kind of talent. And I think that's where other cities might still improve to, uh, by basically attracting young and, uh, let's say, technically uh, educated uh, people that can actually connect the dots between all the different sources of data and information that are out there and how they could be used um, for better, more data-driven policymaking. And, you know, we just did uh, an interview with John Davies from GreenBiz in, in the, uh, the report that uh, um, we put together. Uh, we talk in there about the need for various groups to really kind of get in sync with each other to tackle these problems. So so who do you think is the ideal broker to kind of bring together private, um, you know, government um, together to solve these kind of problems and, and really plan it out? Because every city is different, right? Yeah. So is is it academia? You know, who who's in the driver's seat? Personally, I mean, I might be biased because I am from academia, but I think academic, academia or academic institutions, um, as well as certain NGOs, might actually be the best uh, brokers or neutral uh, mediators, basically, in this process. Um, because we are typically trusted from both sides. Um, we are trusted from, let's say, the public sector side, as well as from the industry uh, side of the story. Um, so our experience has been relatively positive um, when we try to bring people from various industries, sometimes even competitors from one and the same industry, together with policymakers uh, and city officials to discuss a common problem that they are all sharing, which is the increasing challenges of uh, sustainable urban logistics. Um, other examples might be people like the World Economic Forum, who have working groups um, that tackle those problems, that discuss those problems. And they're also usually uh, um, quite diverse groups of people, both from industry, from the public sector, and also from, let's say, uh, consulting agencies that try to uh, serve both sides uh, with advice and insight. So we've been talking a lot about problems and challenges and all the things that come with urbanization, but I'm curious, do you see an upside in urbanization? Is there something good that's coming about this? I think a common thing is we're thinking pollution and congestion, but... Yeah, living in pods. Yeah, right? Is there something we should be looking forward to with this trend? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, urbanization 
is also an enabler, at least for us as the consumers, it's an enabler for better service levels. I mean, if you think about the current trend in e-commerce that we are all a part of, we are all expecting faster deliveries, more, let's say, personalized deliveries. We all are expecting that we are able to flexibly decide when and where and how to receive our packages. Um, and this kind of flexibility is obviously very hard to uh, provide on an operational level, but it gets easier the higher the density, the more people are living in the same area, the more people are living in the same um, zone, basically, because it allows for logistic service provider to consolidate again. Because typically this trend in e-commerce leads to increasing fragmentation. So it's harder and harder to basically combine two or more shipments in one at the same route. Because you might order something uh, and want it to be delivered in the morning, and your neighbor might order the same thing but want it to be delivered in the afternoon. So right now there's basically hardly any potential for combining those two deliveries on one efficient route, to give you an example. As more and more people live closer together, um, logistics service providers have higher uh, potentials to consolidate those shipments again and to become more efficient in the way that they supply um, to the urban consumer, basically. Um, so there's an upside in this. Uh, we will see increasing service levels and at the same time density uh, and urbanization enables logistics service providers to provide such services uh, still profitably. So when we're looking at the logistics providers in these areas, of course, you know, people who live in these cities are going to have their own challenges, and there's there's probably a lot of things that will make the city of the future. But really kind of honing in on the logistics people, you know, um, is that what what's the most mind-blowing kind of thing that you could share with us in terms of uh, something that you've seen either roll out in, in one of the cities or projects that you've worked on or maybe something that's at least conceptual at this point? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of really interesting things out there. I mean, we all are probably aware of this big public discussion around drone delivery, for instance. Now, from a research point of view, uh, I'm kind of torn because I'm, I do see uh, the benefits, but I also do see uh, the, the question marks behind drone delivery in an urban setting. But there's actually a lot of interesting ideas that spun off this uh, general trend of talking about using the use of drones in urban environments. There's a couple of um, OEMs, like truck manufacturers, for instance, who are thinking about very intelligent uh, concepts of combining this new vehicle technology, so autonomous drones, with existing technology, so existing delivery vans, for instance. And um, I personally am a big fan of those multimodal and potentially autonomous delivery systems. Because if you think about the delivery process in a city nowadays, the key driver of route inefficiency is actually looking for parking. It sounds trivial, but most trucks spend most of their time trying to find uh, a right or a, a good spot to park in order to deliver. And that is something where you could basically, uh, that you could overcome by combining that traditional means of transport, so the van, with drones that actually 
replace the delivery agent and that just take off from the van and come back to the van as it uh, moves continuously throughout the city without ever stopping again. So there's very intelligent ideas that could revolutionize the efficiency of urban route operations. And Matthias, how bullish are you on electric vehicles? It's something that logistics providers are experimenting with and implementing a lot already. Especially dense cities, right? Yeah. Makes sense. Um, Well, I'm a big fan of electric vehicles for urban logistics because, um, I mean, the common concern towards electric vehicles, be it for uh, commercial purposes or private purposes, is um, speed and range, right? Um, But actually, range is not really a constraining factor if you're thinking about urban delivery routes. Um, I don't have the exact numbers, but I've worked with a postal operator in Europe, and they were looking into, well, how long are our urban delivery routes on average? And the number that they got to was way beyond, uh, way below um, the uh, maximum range of uh, the available electric vehicles at that point. So actually, um, a lot of constraints that we might see as a consumer when we think about electric vehicles are not relevant for commercial applications for um, urban last mile delivery. It's critically important, right? These are the places we're living. This is the future of our communities. How would you kind of encourage people to take a deeper look at where they live and the things they can do to actually make their environments better both for themselves and future generations? Obviously, it's uh, it's not easy to raise the awareness of the importance of appropriate city planning for the quality um, of life of those people because, um, as I said before, um, People are used to the fact that their packages arrive one day after they ordered something online at their doorstep, and that's a convenience that they enjoy very much, but they don't really think about how it got there and what they could be doing uh, to to improve that service or to enable service providers to provide that convenience. So, for instance, um, local communities should probably become more engaged in uh, identifying appropriate spaces um, that could be used for logistics uh, processes. So, for instance, a lot of talk is currently about how can we use so-called hyper-local inventory locations to move closer to the customer, to have our inventory of goods closer to the consumer, and that would then enable us to reach that consumer more quickly, to be more responsive to a potential order of a certain item. Now, that requires the availability of such spaces. So, And those spaces could be back rooms of retail stores. It could be uh, basements of apartment buildings. It could be, uh, I don't know, unused space in the parking lot of a mall, for instance. Um, And identifying those spaces and uh, repurposing them or making them available for multiple use cases, um, that is something that local communities could do to enable service providers uh, like UPS to um, basically improve the service offering to their clients. Yeah, and of course we have the example of UPS Access Point where we have um, in stores but also lockers outside of stores where people can pick up their packages and, and coordinate that. So is, that's kind of what you're getting at? Yes, that's, that's one very consumer-facing uh, uh, example. But, um, for instance, um, in, uh, in other cases, you might also just want to um, enable companies to have local storage 
capacities that they can use to store, let's say, very frequently moving items um, and have them closer to the customer. So once the customer orders, the item doesn't have to be shipped from a distribution center somewhere far out of the city, but can basically be shipped right from the same neighborhood as the customer is living in. This this one's kind of uh, an, uh, maybe a softball question. What's the what's the densest city you've ever been to in terms of, uh, you know, I've, I've got Tokyo well, on my We can do a lightning round. I have questions too okay all right so what's what's the densest city you've ever been to um so it's actually an interesting question because uh, most of us if we think of a really dense space we think of manhattan right manhattan is probably one of the densest spaces in the industrialized world with i believe about twenty-five thousand people per square kilometer now you, it's not the densest city out there, I believe, but uh, Mumbai, for instance, uh, has a density not of, let's say, the center of the city, but of the whole metropolitan area of, on average, 30,000 people per square kilometer. So that's still like 20% more dense than downtown Manhattan, and it's the widest possible definition that you could think of uh, uh, for Mumbai. So that gives you an idea of what we really mean when we talk about extreme levels of density, especially in emerging markets. Got it. So I think you're a good person to go to on this one. It might sound a little bit strange. I know you're not a travel agent, but hypothetically, I come to you and I say, I want to go on a weekend trip. I know you've gone to all these impressive cities around the world. One city, where would you recommend that I go to? The best one. If you're interested in urban loss, my logistics. That, that is at the top of my list. Yeah, when I go on vacation, I think, you know, I want to go to the place with the most impressive urban logistics. No, just any, yeah, that can be your reason. But if I could only go one place for the weekend, where would you recommend? So if you really want to understand the challenges and complexities of urban last mile delivery, I would recommend you to go to uh, Bangalore um, and to just get on a a uh, little uh, tuk-tuk or whatever and uh, drive through the city and see what's going on. That was on your bucket list. That's true. My wife's going to be thrilled when I explain to her what we're doing this weekend. That's, yeah. <laughs> it's a long trip for a weekend. Though. That's a hot spot. Well, Matthias, in addition to my travel plans, you gave us a lot of great information about sustainable urban logistics. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you very much, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity. James, next week we're wrapping up our urban logistics series. So you guys are probably thinking this is all great. You've laid out the problem, but what exactly is UPS doing about it? Well, the answer to that question is coming next week in part three of our urban logistics series. See you guys then. 